Oftentimes we feel like we have to feel pain all the time or it's we're forgetting or we're betraying our loved one or we're moving on. And we just want to reassure people that that is not the case. Hi guys, we're your hosts, Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adults, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi friends, today's topic is a tough one, but it's one that we'll all have to navigate at some point in our lives and one that most of us feel totally unequipped to cope with. We're talking about grief with the help of mental health professionals Eleanor Haley and Lisa Williams, the founders of the website and podcast What's Your Grief? So this episode resonated really hard for both of us. We cover everything from how to support others after a big loss to how to find your own healthy coping mechanisms. And we've learned so many validating things from this interview. Like there's actually no correct way to grieve. It looks completely different for everyone. So we should just never compare or judge anyone's journey with grief, especially our own. We also learned that there are so many different kinds of loss that people may be feeling right now and that the current loss of normalcy and isolation in our world can trigger grief for a lot of people. So whether you're grieving the loss of a loved one, the, just the general uncertainty of what lies ahead with the pandemic, job loss, relationship loss, a difficult diagnosis, the collective grief of global tragedies and racial injustice, or just the loss of connection with the people you love, you might be experiencing grief in ways you didn't even realize. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's been a fucking hell of a year for everyone. I think we can speak on behalf of the entire planet right now when we say that everyone <laughs> is experiencing some heavy stuff right now. Honestly, one of my biggest fears since childhood has always been fear of losing my loved ones and fear of death. I'm sure a lot mm. of people have that same fear. It was it became like very yeah obsessive for me I'd have like a lot of nightmares about losing my grandma and ended up going into therapy for it because it just was like very consuming for me and it's a a tricky thing to have looming over you because it is inevitable and so you kind of have to learn how to process it in advance the concept of death when you're young is like you can't really understand it I remember I had a panic attack once when I was like 12 and I my mom came in my room and I was like I don't want to die I don't want to die and she was like you're not going to die like right now what's going on but I just thought of loss and nothing like just being gone and having no taking up not taking up space on the earth anymore was a really scary thought it's really scary and it's the unknown and the unknown in any aspect of life can be one of the scariest things yeah that's out there like certainty at least helps with processing but nothing about death is certain it really helped me when my therapist told me that when you love someone, you're signing a contract that you will ultimately lose them. And that's the price mm. that you're paying for love. This fear, especially of losing my grandma, was because I, she was like my favorite person in the world and I yeah. loved her so much. And that was the price that I have to pay for being so close with someone and having such a special bond with someone. And I did end up losing her. Um, so I'm still processing that. And this conversation today has really helped me with that because no matter how much you can fear and anticipate something happening, nothing really prepares you. So a big thing that we learned from our friends at What's Your Grief is anticipatory grief, uh, which really helped me understand the loss that I felt leading up to my grandma's passing 
and mm-hmm. we were very much a part of her caregiving team. We were living with her full time in her final months and 24/7 we were there. It was it was a very tough ending and and I'm grateful that we had that chance to spend that time with her. Yeah. But I now also understand that those really rough weeks we were dealing probably at least I was dealing with like the bulk of my grief at that point because you've right. kind of already lost them at that point. And so I was I was grieving her while she was still alive. And so once she was gone, it began the next part of the journey, which was trying to remember the good stuff and not just the yeah. hard stuff. And so if you feel relief after someone's out of their pain and someone's gone, that's okay. That's not mm-hmm. a bad thing because you've probably been there to see a lot of suffering and you've already started to process losing them and understand what losing them is going to be like. And so now you can move into a new part of that grief. Yeah, I I felt the same way when I lost my opa because he he was he had Alzheimer's for almost 6 years and by the time he passed he was just just obviously a completely different person. He didn't remember us and it it, it sounds terrible but it it made the grieving process I don't want to say easier but it just prepared us better for when it happened. It's it's interesting. I like what you said about it starts a second part of the process where you start to focus on the memories um, and holding on to those moments yeah grieving shouldn't be something that you just like move past and move through and then it's over part of that process is learning how to keep their memories alive rather than shutting them down and honestly like a very pivotal moment was dabbling with some you know mind-altering substances to help me like through some pain that I was feeling and the number one thing that was coming through to me was you're shutting her out. When's the last time that you pictured her face or listened to her voice or let her in? And I was just completely blocking her out. And I don't want that. I want everyone who loves someone and has lost them to be able to keep them with them every day and keep their memories and find ways to hold on to them and hold on to the good things. Because I could feel myself when, you know, when my family would bring up memories of my grandma I would I would almost like cringe and recoil and be like yep I remember that and I wasn't letting myself just enjoy those memories and I really want to and I'm starting to and I'm starting to bring her up more she was my second mom she was another parent to me and so if I can move through the hurt and the painful triggers and then find ways to keep her alive through all of the things that made her so special then I can handle this kind of grief she was so incredible at so many things she was such an inspiration to everybody who knew her all of the things that made her her I'm now integrating in my everyday life so I'm baking more I'm going through all of her hundreds and hundreds of handwritten recipes making all of her favorite foods listening to the music that she would sing she's a legend she's a straight-up legend and that's that's important like you want to keep that alive like she she doesn't want to be forgotten like she wants you to keep those traditions and you'll be baking those things for your kids one day and the circle continues and that's that's the important thing to remember and I, I know what's you'll you'll hear this later on in the episode but don't be afraid to to talk about someone who who your friend is grieving or, or your your partner's grieving or your family's grieving because they probably want to remember them and yeah it might bring a few tears but at the end of the day they probably need that release and, and just that I don't know that welcoming to talk about 
the person. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I've also been trying to figure out some defined processes on how I can deal with some anticipatory grief that I'm going through due to a diagnosis of a very close family member. And man, it has been a roller coaster of emotions to deal with. I mean, some days I'm fine. Some days I'm not. Some days it hits me and like sucker punches me in the stomach in the middle of the day. So what I found to be really helpful, and it's, a, it's something that I learned from this episode, is that carving out a set amount of time, whether it's five minutes, two minutes, 30 seconds for you to just sort of take it all in has been really, really, really helpful because it just allows me to go on about my day and not let it consume every single thought that I have. And then, of course, this is going to sound very cliche, but exercising, eating right, getting lots of sleep has been really helpful for me and just surrounding myself with positivity. I have been watching all of Sebastian Maniscalco's YouTube videos. This man is literally giving me life. He's hilarious. But laughter and just spending time with people who lift me up has been probably the number one thing that's helped me get through this period of my life. But we are not the experts, so we called in the ladies of What's Your Grief, a website and podcast that helps people explore ideas, experiences, and concepts related to grief, coping, and life after loss. Teach us how to cope with grief. So we'd love to hear more about your stories and what drove you to start What's Your Grief? Uh, We both had experienced loss in early adulthood. So we both had experienced the death of a parent in early adulthood. So we had that lens that we saw things through. However, we were also both working in the mental health field. Uh, My background's in counseling and Leitz is is in social work. And we were working at an organization where we were providing support to people who were experiencing often a very sudden and unexpected death. Uh, we were providing support directly at the hospital, and then we were running an aftercare for two aftercare program for two years after that. And I think just using our lens of mental health combined with that lens of p- someone who had experienced a loss, we were looking at a lot of the resources and saying like, this just isn't good enough. <laughs> and so we just started writing online and we hoped that it would resonate with people. And this was back in late 2012, early 2013. And in time, we grew quite an audience. uh, And we're really pleased with how many people we're now able to reach with the type of grief support that we would have been looking for. I love it. Your site and your Instagram is so amazing. The content you post is so relatable. I know there was one article I was reading about debunking all the different stages of grief. And if you add it all all of it up for when you're supposed to get over your grief, and I have finger quotes here, it would take you something like 37,000 years or whatever it is <laughs> yeah. that you calculated. So I love it. It makes talking about something that's kind of dark and scary approachable. And I think that that's really important and really healthy for people. So could you tell us more about how to identify your individual grief coping style, whether you're dealing with death or job loss or a breakup or even just like the isolation of COVID right now? There are many different ways to grieve. Uh, There are a couple of theories that look at different grief styles, one specifically Doka and What's what was his part? Terry Martin. Terry Martin. Correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Kenneth Doka and Terry Martin talked about 
uh, two different very specific ways that they were observing that people grieve. One type that looks pretty much like what we expect grief to look like, and that's a more emotional response. So maybe somebody crying or expressing their emotion about the experience. Uh, And I think that's what we expect to see from people. We think of grief typically as being mostly an emotional experience. But the reality is, is that grief is more than just an emotional experience. It's a cognitive, it's a physical, it's a, it's a spiritual, it's all sorts Mm -hmm. of different types of experiences. And so the other type of grief that they observed is something that's a little more kind of hands on and focused on thought processes and how we think about grief. So grief is expressed more cognitively and how we're thinking about things and also maybe more in kind of hands-on doing sort of ways. So somebody might process their grief through getting involved in um, maybe advocacy or maybe they are more creative and want to create something with their hands that expresses their emotion. Or maybe they're the person who immediately following the death is is ready to help plan a really great memorial service. And everybody's looking at them like, how are they possible? possibly functioning right now. Well, this is how they're expressing and coping with their grief in that moment. So I think the first step is just acknowledging that there are more than one way of grieving. And then I I think what Lisa and I talk a lot about is just thinking about yourself and what you know about yourself. Oftentimes, the go-to suggestions are things like support groups. uh, And it leads people who are not really talkers feeling kind of like, oh, great, what am I supposed to do? Because that's definitely not my thing. I'm not a joiner. Or maybe my plate's just far too full to go to a support group every week. We want people to recognize that there are so many different ways to cope. And the best thing you can do is think about yourself. And what are your strengths? What are your preferences? What are your resources? if you know that you're one of those people who's more hands-on and a thinker, uh, you might want to look into more kind of intellectual ways to process your grief. Maybe you want to read grief books or read memoirs written by people who are grieving. If you are somebody who's more emotional, then maybe a support group or talking it out or journaling about emotion might be for you. And then, of course, there are people who are with more creative in their grief. And these are people who might prefer to express their emotion through things like art. We talk a lot about using photography as a way to cope with your grief. Of course, I mentioned journaling, there's writing in a more creative writing type of way. And so what we encourage people to do is just really think about who they are, what has worked for them in the past, and then have an open mind about things that you think could be helpful that you've never tried before. So really, people should lean on what they know about themselves and trust in their and their strengths and preferences. It's really helpful to know that there can be such an individual approach to how you deal with things. Like I'm a writer, and so a lot of the processing of my grief has been writing about my loved right. one or writing letters to death or to loss or to all these yeah. different things. And like a dear relative of mine just started um, – volunteering at the hospital where she lost her husband and she's gone really deep into volunteer work and it's helping her so much so and I think uh both of those examples you just mentioned also help us to make meaning from our loss uh, and to help us to understand and maybe to provide us with a new kind of purpose. Uh, And so I think things that can serve those functions as well can be really, really helpful. I think one thing that we encourage people to do is to like step back and say like, this is my coping. Like oftentimes people think they're doing things that, that are separate from their grief, but if it's allowing you to have space to think about your experiences, to process them and to explore them, then it is coping. Coping. So there's no definition for what coping is and is not. And do you guys find that the recovery and coping mechanisms are different for people who've experienced like a, a shocking, sudden loss versus an expected loss? Because I, f- I feel like 
they're both so difficult in their own ways and they come with, you know, like with a shock, there's, there can be anger and confusion and all these different emotions. And with something that's expected, there's like this anticipatory grief and you can be very involved in the lead up to that loss. So how, like, are there different approaches for those different kinds of losses? Even within unexpected losses and anticipated losses, there's still wild differences from person to person because like you described, I mean, there's a lot of anger in anticipated losses. And sometimes we think that when we anticipate it, we're going to be able to plan it and we're going to be able to have a person go to hospice and have a meaningful Hollywood moment where the family gathers at bedside and we all get to say what we want to say. You're right. And oftentimes that doesn't actually happen. And there can be a lot of the same feelings about the death being um, you know, difficult and complicated. So I think one of the things we know is that anticipated losses do at least allow our brains oftentimes to start creating a space to imagine what the world might look like without that person, to kind of start to imagine feelings that might come and to try to create a space to do what we call anticipatory grief, which is starting to process a little of the loss before it happens. But I think the other thing we know is that oftentimes once that loss happens, it still knocks people over even more than they expected. Because I think sometimes people feel like, okay, I had time to prepare. So I thought that would make it easier. But the reality of a world without the person versus the idea of a world without a person is so different. And so I think there's still sometimes almost, you know, even even more shock for people when they felt like they were preparing themselves, but weren't as prepared as they anticipated. But we also know with unexpected losses, there's so much, you know, our brains haven't created that space where they've started to try to imagine the world. We just, you know, we think we have time. And so our brains haven't been doing that. And so there is a lot more kind of shock and oftentimes disbelief and numbness and kind of overwhelm that happens as our brains try to catch up with those things that they didn't get to prepare for in advance. How can you help support a loved one when they're grieving? And is there a difference between providing comfort versus support or common platitudes that you should avoid saying? (laughs) What do you recommend? Uh, (laughs) This is a big question. (laughs) I think that People can expect to have at least a few experiences that feel a little bit uncomfortable um, and maybe a little bit off-putting at the very least because people, they just aren't always good at this, right? And I think even the most socially comfortable and um, experienced person still can stumble. I think that it's it's normal to have anxieties around this uh, and to worry about doing the wrong thing or doing the right thing. So we Though we can't tell someone exactly what to do, there are a couple of rules that we follow. And uh, you mentioned one in, in staying away from certain platitudes. I guess our number one recommendation for that would be don't look for a silver lining for people. Uh, try to stay away from, or don't try, definitely do, stay away from anything that begins with at least. Because at least is looking for some sort of silver lining or positive in the situation. And something we also like to tell people is that just because the comment may be true, 
uh, or true someday doesn't mean that somebody's ready to hear it or that it's helpful in the moment. So yeah. stay away from things like that. Now, you may hear the griever making their own meaning of a situation or finding their own silver linings. And if that's the case, follow their lead, follow their cues, but don't try and find meaning for them. That is something that everybody has to find on their own and in their own time. The other rule you mentioned that we talk about a lot is just knowing the difference between comfort and support because comfort is our attempt to take away pain. And that's where that at least comes from. That's where that desire to find the silver lining comes from is because we're trying to bypass that pain and get to a place where a person might be able to feel better. We recommend that people reconceptualize their role from being somebody who provides comfort to somebody who provides support. And somebody who provides support, really, if you think about what the word support means, it's just to kind of hold up somebody or something. So be Mm -hmm. someone who's there for them to lean on. We're trying to let them lead and we follow without trying to push them or find their meaning for them. Yeah. And I think the other thing, like on a really basic level is sometimes people worry about over the long term, you know, talking about the person who died, bringing a sharing story, sharing memories, mm-hmm. being there long term, like, that's often the most helpful yeah. thing or a really comforting thing. And yet it's the thing that I think sometimes people shy away from. We'll hear people say things like, oh, I didn't want to mention it because I didn't mm-hmm. want to remind them about right. their loss. I'm like, I promise you they did not forget about their loss. Like you're not <laughs> you talking, like you sharing a story, you being able to say like, hey, the holidays are pretty hard or like, oh God, I know this was your brother's birthday. Like this is probably a really rough week. Like that's the kind of thing that I Mm -hmm. think really shows people that you're there for the long term, that you want to be there to remember their loved one and be there not just for that first couple of weeks or months after a loss when everybody's there, but to really kind of stick around for the long term. And I think those, when I think about for myself, the friends and people who have been there the most for me, it's the ones who so many years later still are like, oh, you know, I remember it's your dad's death anniversary, or I know like that this is probably a hard time and acknowledge that. Be the person who sticks around long-term, who's still checking in a year later, five years later, 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah. I think the last thing I might add in, you know, for this abbreviated conversation is just to practice being comfortable with not having anything to say and with silence because I I think it's when we aren't comfortable with silence that we scramble to say something and that's when people end up stepping in it, right? That's when people end up maybe changing the subject to themselves and talking about their losses, comparing what the person is going through to something they experienced, which um, may have been a really big loss for that person, but it doesn't always it doesn't always land well with the person who's grieving because right now the focus sh- rightfully should be on their pain and their grief. So be comfortable with not saying anything at all. Uh, don't feel the need to always fill that silence. Thank you, guys. That's answered so many questions. I feel like we've all had that moment. I certainly have where friends who've lost loved ones, you know, maybe five years later, and I know it's the exact day and I just don't know what to do. I'm like, well, maybe they don't want to get this message from me right now. And maybe they're just trying to have a good day. But yeah, they haven't forgotten about it. They know that this is a, a landmark and they're already thinking about them. So why not offer support? The discomfort piece 
is really important too because something I've been thinking about a lot lately I've recently lost my grandma and we were were really close and I want to talk about her all the time and I want to talk about like memories and how much I miss her but I can sense so many people immediately get uncomfortable probably because it's pretty fresh and they obviously want to like fix it or they don't want me to be sad so they want to solve for whatever I bring up but everyone just gets very uncomfortable and then is quick to offer a platitude so how can how can we all work together to talk about loss and grief and death in a more open way so that me if I want to bring something up do I assure people like hey guys I don't need anything from you I just I just want to talk about this right now or how do we approach that from both sides Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, I think one of the things that is hard is that people don't realize that like what grief is, we're still stuck with so many of those old misconceptions that we're trying to get over it and get through it and move on. And And I think like being able to help people in all of our own worlds, and then hopefully slowly that ripples out to understand that like what grief is, it's figuring out how to have an ongoing relationship with a person who's died. And like that means that we're figuring out how to still talk about them, how to remember them, how to live a life that's still informed so much by their presence in our life. And that that's a good thing. Like it's hard and it's it can be painful and it's always bittersweet. Like even when we get to the best place with it, it's still bittersweet and difficult and hard. But that like that's that's what we're striving for oftentimes is connection, not disconnection. And I think that the way that we can convey that to people and help people understand that can help people to get more comfortable with that idea that like being able to still talk about this person and talk about my connection to them, that actually helps. Like I don't need you to fix that. I don't need you to kind of take away the bitter part of bittersweet. That's just always going to be there. And I think sometimes it's getting uh, each of us getting better at telling people what we need or or like being a little bit more clear and direct with people of sometimes being, and this is true in like all sorts of things in life of being able to be like, Hey, I want to, I need to vent something to you and I don't need you to fix it or I don't need your advice or I just need like you to hear me or like, hey, I just I want to tell you something. It's probably going to make me sad. I'm probably going to get emotional and like, that's okay. But being able to kind of let people know that up front so that they don't feel this pressure that you're looking for something from them and they don't know what or they're suddenly scrambling to try to provide you something and it ends up being the wrong thing. Yeah, I th- that is like a like breakthrough statement right there because I think that's it. I think a lot of people are way too scared to bring it up because they don't want to trigger someone, but really they like they just want to remember that person and keep it alive in some capacity. So, I mean, that helps me cuz I I mean, there's been times with Jill where I I'm nervous, I don't want to make her upset, but I know she, I would love to talk her grandma was epic by the way. Like this woman was <laughs> Stunning, full face and makeup, like just a beautiful soul. So she deserves, she needs to be lived, lived on and live on. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's really helpful for a lot of people. So let's talk about this looming pandemic we have 
going on right now. How do you think that the current pandemic is affecting people's grieving processes? I mean, the isolation makes it pretty hard uh, to engage with some self-soothing and comforting routines and rituals we would normally turn to. So we're just Mm -hmm. sort of forced to sit with it. It's tough because everybody's going through something right now. Uh, And obviously, we know the numbers of people who've died from COVID. So if you, you know, how many people are grieving each one of those people? It's, it's, it's mind blowing to think about how many people are just entering this winter of grief. And as you mentioned, they're not able to have the types of memorials and services and rituals that they probably would have expected to be able to have for their loved ones. Also, people who are having loved ones die from any type of hospital death, any type of illness, are not able to be with their loved ones. And then you just have the fact that people are a little more cut off from things that they would normally access for support. So they're more separate, separated from their friends and family. People don't have access to things like that. People don't have access to groups that they might have had before, support groups, things like AA, NA. I think the other thing to consider, not just the people who are coming into grief now, maybe who experienced a death right before all this happened, this is bringing up loss for a lot of people. So there are people who are grieving non-death losses, but I think it's also bringing up past losses for a lot of people who are going through this. Because I think a lot of times when we experience stress and hardship, it brings up stuff for us. And so I think if you're starting to feel like you're having an experience where you're re-grieving some things and you're complicated and difficult emotions that you thought you hadn't experienced in a really long time, if they've been coming up for you, I think that that's a pretty normal experience for many people. We do encourage people to have an open mind for things they may not have considered before. Like a perfect example is that so many therapists were against teletherapy prior to this crisis. And now pretty much everybody has had to go online. And I think, you know, some people may be like, "Ugh, not for me. But I think a lot of people are like, oh, this isn't as scary as I thought. And so on the other side of that, if you're somebody who would seek therapy, don't just wait for things to be available in person. Consider whether or not you might be able to give it a try to do it online. Support groups, many of them are running online. So give that a try. Uh, Think about the things that you can do on your own, things like journaling, artistic expression. We actually, if people are really looking for some ideas, we have a free, it's like a 10 day coping, we call it a challenge, but it's not really a challenge. (laughs) Um, But it's 10 days of coping. And we introduce new coping skills every day that people can do from home and without the resources that they would normally have. And so there are a lot of different ways, but you might have to be a little more resourceful and a little more creative. It's amazing. We'll link that in our show notes too, for, for everybody to access. And I think too, one thing I would add, and and this is always true, but I think for me, my own personal experience right now has caused me to push this in a way that I I wouldn't have otherwise with everything going on with COVID, is also thinking about expanding and reaching out um, to people differently. Like one thing I've gone through is I've, um, for anybody who listens to us probably knows, I've talked about it, I've lost several people during COVID, like two good friends and my uncle who I was really close with. And in all of those cases, we weren't able to have funerals. Like there wasn't a memorial. And Eleanor and I were talking about this recently. Like 
I didn't even think I was a big memorial funeral person. And I've yet felt this big sense of loss. And I think a lot of it is because I haven't been able to connect with other people who are grieving this same loss. Like we we didn't have a service. We're not able to go out and grab a coffee or get a drink or, you know, whatever and kind of connect at all. And my, again, another thing with styles is definitely introvert, extrovert style. I'm a little more of an extrovert. Like for me, it is helpful to connect with and talk to other people who are remembering the same person. And so it really has pushed me recently to reach out to friends of friends of my friends who died, who I wasn't that close with, who like normally actually wouldn't be people, especially in the context of a pandemic that I would be reaching out to, to be like, hey, I'm just like feeling really sad and like missing Aaron today. And I need somebody to talk to about that. And for me, it's been really helpful. Like it's been something where it's forced me to reach out to people who I might not have otherwise, uh, but it's ended up being really meaningful to do that. So I think being open to the idea that sometimes we, because we're vulnerable, because we're struggling, because we're grieving, like we limit things sometimes to this like inner our inner circle of people but especially in moments like this when the world is just more disconnected from than ever and when we don't have those same grieving rituals i think it can be really important to open your mind about who might be a support to you that you haven't thought about so switching gears to special occasions do you guys have any advice on how to navigate these like milestone events, holidays, special occasions after a loss. I mean, I wish I didn't put so much weight in them, but in a weird way, I've now just begun to dread like a wedding if I have one eventually or any of those big things because I feel like it's just going to be marred by the loss of my grandma and by the loss of like the family structure I had with my parents now that that has changed. How do you move through those events and and not lose your mind? (laughs) One of the things that's difficult when we go through any loss is we have this picture in our mind of what our life is going to look like, what events are going to look like, what our family is going to look like, what special days are going to look like. And one of the things that happens after a loss is that all of that is disrupted. It's like, it's not just, you know, we're, we're grieving that future we thought that we were going to have. And One of the things that's, I think, really important is just that mindset shift of being able to acknowledge both the loss of those things, of those moments of what we expected it to to look like, while also being able to say, just because it's not what I imagined doesn't mean that it can't still be good and meaningful and filled Mm -hmm. with joy and love and all of those other things while it will still unquestionably be filled with loss and sadness and you know that that bittersweet want for what we thought it would be and that we can carry both of those things together and i think that it's it's easy to describe that and it's hard to to get to that but i think if we can sometimes go into those special days, holidays, milestones, you know, kind of knowing that that's what what we're trying to do, that it can at least help us to both give ourselves permission for the fact that there will probably be 
tears and difficult moments and mm-hmm. and some really difficult times on days that we thought would be wholly joyful and that's okay um and also that there will still be lots of joy and giving ourselves kind of permission and space for that too like to add to that at the flip side like while I'm complaining about how I dread these occasions I've also learned that these occasions the loss can kind of open up like space for something for a new ritual or like something new that didn't exist before. Like this year we celebrated my grandma's birthday without her and got my family together and like did a celebration. And it was probably arguably more of a celebration than when we did her real birthdays with her there. And over the holidays, like we just put a concerted effort into doing a lot more things together than we used to do because our family shrunk so kind of rapidly in in a short amount of time. And so I guess if you can keep an open mind to like what you can fill that void with, then maybe good stuff can come of it too. So I know you guys talk about triggers a lot on what's your grief. So what have you discovered in your work about kind of addressing and dealing with, with triggers so that you can process them, but not have it ruin your entire day when you encounter these things. I think one thing is just acknowledging and understanding that they're going to happen. Though we will want to try and avoid them at times. Like for example, you might want to avoid grief triggers while you're at work because you don't want to cry at work if that's the type of workplace you work in. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So there are times when we do want to avoid them a little bit. In general, we don't recommend trying to close yourself off from all grief triggers because if you do that, you end up closing yourself off from memories of your loved one. And just know that you learn how to cope with them. And even in the moment when you encounter something that feels really distressing, just know that it will wash over you. So understand that you're in your whatever emotion you're feeling, your distress um, of any nature, your anxiety, your fear, your panic, whatever it is, it will rise and it will then recede. Um, and we need to, we just kind of have to get good at, at dealing with this. And in time, what we often see is that the intensity of these experiences, generally speaking, diminish so that something may cause a tinge of sadness, but they also might have a little more warmth to them or comfort or um, a continued kind of bond in them. And so we don't recommend people avoid them just because we want you to get to this place where you create space for both of those experiences and emotions and thoughts and feelings, uh, because you can feel two things at once, right? So you can feel that sadness and also that connection and warmth at the same time. Yeah. And I think that that's important for people to know that, uh, to your point that it won't always happen by a physical object. It could just sort of hit you out of the blue all of a sudden and just got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and knowing that that's part of the healing process, I think Mm -hmm. is really important for people. One thing I would add, just like it comes to mind right now, because I asked this question in our Instagram stories yesterday about just sort of helpful and unhelpful things that people's uh, therapists have done for them in grief. And um, I was struck by how many people... um, messaged saying that their therapist, that one thing that was really helpful was their therapist talked about creating grief space, like time and space dedicated to your own grief. And that Mm -hmm. that helped people to feel like when they knew that they had that time that they were setting aside for it, when there were other moments that felt overwhelming and unmanageable, that it helped them to sort of say like, I can come back 
to this later, you know, or I'm going to take this, you know, this space. And again, it's not that we can like shut off a grief, like when a grief trigger happens, it's not like, oh, okay, let me just like put this in a little box and I'll open the box again later. It doesn't always work that way. But I do think that it can be helpful if we know that we're dedicating, creating spaces to give ourselves permission to really just sit with our loss and how hard it is and those feelings and, you know, to know that we're doing that regularly and in a way that is helping us to spend time with those things, that then sometimes when those triggers do come up or when that overwhelm does come up, you sort of feel like, okay, I... I'm going to feel some of this now. And I'm, and if I've got to get back to work, like maybe I can tell myself like, this is something that I'm going to come back to when I write or when I journal or when I just sit with myself and my grief and, you know, kind of use that space for it. I think the other thing that does is give you practice dealing with the really tough stuff and tough emotions. And it gives you practice um, experiencing these things and kind of proving to yourself that you can handle them and that though it they they will feel very bad for a, a moment or two or or longer um generally speaking you'll get to a place where you feel a little more at peace it reminds me of having a like a mindfulness practice which is uh-huh. great because if you have kind of a devoted time where you can allow those memories and allow those feelings to come in and you can sit with them and go through them it's helped me i mean i know for anyone who like has witnessed a death, it can just really fuck with you. And I, mm-hmm. I find it like very jarring, inconvenient times. Sometimes it like hits me and I get these weird flashbacks and just like the worst moments flood you. And then I'm like, I can't deal with this right now. So I'm right. going to like later before I go to bed tonight, I will revisit this and try to maybe replace it with a better memory mm-hmm. or try to figure out why this is coming to me. But revisiting can be really key. And yeah, and I think it does build, you know, that like that idea of a, a mindfulness practice and the things that we grow and build and that it does, it is what makes us better able to carry the weight of loss. And I think that idea that people get really frustrated when people say it, it gets easier with time, um, because I think that sometimes feels like it diminishes the weight of the loss. And I think a, a one way that we like to think of it that is a little, I don't know, at least that I like a little more is like, not that it doesn't get easier, like that weight is always there. We just get stronger and we become better able to carry it once we kind of spend that time with it and and learn these ways and tools and just are able to get more comfortable with the feelings that we feel that we're we're better able to carry them. And that helps us to integrate that loss into our daily lives as we go forward. Yeah. And that's something we wanted to ask you about too, how to find that right balance between allowing yourself to feel and process your grief properly, but also getting back to everyday life because you still have a life to live. Are there any other strategies that you recommend people test out when they're trying to balance the two? I feel like, you know, when we talk about other grief models and theories that are out there, one that we really like is a model called the dual process model of grief. And one of the underpinnings of that model is the idea that we don't grieve and then get back to life. Those two things happen alongside of each other. And so some of those older models of phases and stages and things gave this idea of like, okay, I've got to dedicate this time to work through my grief so then I can get back to 
normal or get back to life. And Mm -hmm. that that gave people like really kind of unrealistic expectations about what grief looked like and how they should be coping with it. And what the dual process model really talks about is this idea that we have kind of loss oriented things that we're doing around our grief, but then we have restoration oriented things that we're doing. That's just about adapting to what life is after loss. And we're always bouncing back and forth between those things. They always say we're oscillating between those things. And that part of grief is taking a break from grief. You know, it's creating those spaces to set it aside for a while and engage in healthy avoidance, which I really love Mm -hmm. about that model that they just talk about the idea that part of what we need to do is give our brains a break and focus on the things that we're doing to just recharge in our lives and rebuild and do things that we just love and we're, you know, kind of engaged with. And so I think using that approach, and if you don't know about that model, like reading about that model can be helpful because I think it gives a new way to say, I'm going to be doing all of these things at the same time. And so I have to figure out how to create a healthy balance between the two and feel okay about the fact that I'm not going to be throwing myself into those grief feelings all the time. Sometimes I'm going to be just distracted and avoiding and figuring out how to live my life again. So I think that's one thing that for me feels like it can be helpful to know about. Yeah. Learning about that model has been so helpful for me personally, just because I'm going through some anticipatory grief right now with a family member that got a pretty serious diagnosis. And I haven't been grieving as much as I thought I should have been or compared to other family members and how they're coping with it. And I was feeling guilty about that. But I think learning that it's okay to to give yourself that sort of grace period of when you can you can come to it and, and go back to it. And I think is really validating for me personally and whoever else is going through something similar out there. So thank you for reiterating that. Yeah. The one thing I would add uh, just to what Lisa said is, and, and what you said as well, um, recognizing that grief is something that you're going to be doing forever. And I don't mm-hmm. say that in a way to make um, anyone feel overwhelmed or, or frightened because grief changes. Your relationship with grief changes over time. Uh, but recognizing that you're going to be doing this for a while. Oftentimes we feel like we have to feel pain all the time or it's we're forgetting or we're mm-hmm. betraying our loved one or we're moving on. And we just want to reassure people that that is not the case. Uh, you are going to continue to grieve forever. And you taking time to uh, adjust to certain things, to maybe even take a break from your grief, to do the things you have to do, like go to work and take care of family and, and whatever is on your plate. Um, and even to have moments of laughter and joy these are not betrayals. It's not you letting go. Nothing is going to make you forget your loved one. Uh, And you will be doing this for a long time. And so it's okay to take those breaks. It doesn't mean that you're moving past your loss or your loved one. I have a question about alcohol because I find that drinking for me often leads to a lot more acute grief and sadness. I think a lot of people out there can probably relate to that feeling when they let their guard down and they're more vulnerable and emotions can bubble up more when you're drinking. And I'm sure for a lot of people, the answer is just stop drinking so much or, or you know, don't do it as often. But if it's kind of a part of your life and you don't necessarily want to just 
cut out drinking altogether. Uh, do you have any advice on how to realistically deal with that trigger or how to kind of set yourself up for success so that you don't end every night of indulging with like sobbing on your bed? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Been there. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a really good question. It's really interesting with alcohol or with substances in general, because they can both it, it, for certain people be really numbing of emotions and for other people be really intensifying of emotions and not even just people like at different times, it can affect you in different ways. Um, but one of the things that we know about just how alcohol affects the brain is alcohol, it quiets down the anxiety center of the front part of our brain, and it does also affect the emotion center. But the thing that's really interesting is that in many ways, even though this feels counterintuitive, like our anxiety center of the brain is actually what like keeps, oftentimes keeps our emotions in check or like keeps us from letting our emotions out. And when we quiet that down, suddenly emotions come out more and they can be a lot more intensified because when we're drinking, that part of our brain just isn't working in the same way that it normally does. Sometimes what happens when we're drinking is the stuff that we haven't created space for because our anxiety has been causing us to push it to the side and say like, hey, if I touch that, it's going to be too much or I'm not going to let myself open up or connect with that because it'll be so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. If we're doing that in our day-to-day lives and not dealing with some of those things, then when that anxiety center gets quieted down, suddenly that stuff starts bubbling out. (laughs) So the, the same things of kind of creating that space to spend time with loss, to journal, whether it's, you know, going to counseling, do whatever you're doing, even though it might feel disconnected from those moments when you're drinking, it ultimately is the stuff that is building up a way to cope so that hopefully long-term it doesn't continue to be such an overwhelming problem when you are drinking. One question that we love asking our guests, and because we have two of you, we'd love both your answers. What is one thing you wish you were taught in school? Anything. Um, (laughs) Other than people who go into thanatology, so fields really specific to death and dying, people are really not taught anything about grief and loss. In general, even no matter whether you're a therapist, a social worker, a chaplain, a nurse, a doctor, these are not classes that are really offered to people. I wish that just from a very young age that we were a little bit more open about grief and Mm -hmm. the fact that everybody experiences loss. Gosh, and imagine the support we could give each other if we had that learning. (laughs) I mean, we all are going to go through it at some point. It's so, so true. I really think that the the biggest thing that I wish I had learned in school was like anything about finances. <laughs> um, yes. yes. Anything <laughs> about like, yeah, just like credit and like how, I don't know, just like at anything about that. Tell everyone where they can find you. We are on pretty much all social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. Yeah, at What's Your Grief. And you can find our website uh, at www.whatsyourgrief.com. We're pretty easy to find. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We hope that this chat helps you with whatever grief you're holding and gives you some comfort in knowing that it's totally okay to not be okay. 
And we highly recommend you try out the 10-day coping with grief challenge that Eleanor and Lisa mentioned, which we've linked in the show notes if you're looking for some support. We'll leave you with a quote that really sums up the feeling of loss from author Vicki Harrison. Grief is like the ocean. It comes in waves, ebbing and flowing. Sometimes the water is calm and sometimes it's overwhelming. All we can do is learn to swim. That's what she said. So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.